0: Hi guys, it's Dr. Melina Jampoulos back with another episode of Practically Healthy, where I take experts, celebrities, influencers, and we talk about nutrition in a practical sense, ways that you can truly implement the science in a realistic way. So it's practically healthy, not perfectly healthy. And my guest today, I've actually known for a long time, I guess we met on Larry King, at least a decade ago, I think. Well, when he was still alive. Maybe two decades. Ago. Maybe do, No, not two decades. It I don't think been. it might have been. Yeah. Somewhere but between 10 and 20 years. Somewhere between 10 and 20 years. So um, Dr. Michael Gorin is a, he's a PhD and he has been truly one of the leaders in the United States on not, not, I wouldn't say the battle against sugar, but educating the public. And and I think the interesting thing today, and I think this is going to resonate with a lot of people, um, is is really the impact on our children, because um, that's paramount. I mean, I, I, I will go through, you can go through all your honors, but I'll, I'll read a little bit, just so you guys know how amazing he is. So, <laughs> one of the world's most recognized experts in childhood nutrition and obesity with more than 30 years of experience as a researcher. And he's a professor of pediatrics at USC Keck School of Medicine, co-director of the USC Diabetes and Obesity Research Institute, and leads the program in diabetes obesity at Children's Hospital Los Angeles. So credentials, yes, not just an influencer. This is an actual expert. So... Let's just, thank you so much for being with us today. It's so nice to see you um, in person too. And and the book Sugar Proof is outstanding and, and really a, a tool. So let's jump right in and, and what, what got you interested in the dangers of sugar in the first place, and then what led to this book? Because I know this is you've been talking about doing this for a while. I, that I do remember. So let's jump right in with yeah. uh, your sugar history, your sweet history. <laughs>
1: Thank you. <clears throat> yeah. Thanks for thanks for inviting me on your show. Sure. It's nice to connect with you after a while. Uh, yes, yeah, So it's really been a journey that's been, as I talk about in the book, driven by the data. So as you mentioned, I've been doing the research for over 30 years. Not many people are reading the research papers. It takes years and years, maybe decades, for research to actually get into practice. And uh, the data, the studies, just we're looking at diet in general and what factors of the diet affect the children's health and their long-term disease risk. And what we kept finding was even though we weren't looking specifically at sugar, it was dietary sugar out of all the dietary variables that we looked at was, <clears throat> was the one. That's not to say it's the only problematic factor, but it was, a, it was recurring and it's a modifiable factor. And the story that we tell in the book just kind of became had, it's one that had to be told because it's about... How the food system has changed, how it's changed for children and why children are more susceptible to something that we can do something about. Uh, So the first half is about the science and the journey and the data. And the second half, also based on our research, are practical tools that families can use because we wanted this to be very practical. This is something, you know, the food industry should be helping us with, the government should be helping us with, but they're not going to. Uh, I think families have a much bigger role to play if we can get the information out.
0: So so basically, you accidentally discovered that sugar was a major culprit in childhood health and ill health. Is that correct? A, it was an accidentaloma, like a, you weren't specifically looking to villainize sugar. It just, but it kept popping up in, in what way? Like, it, let's explain it so that people really understand in simpler terms. Mm-hmm. Like, what, how do you do, the, the, first of all, this is interesting because I think for people that don't know, and, and this is why, nutrition research is very complex to do, to isolate one variable in the context of a whole meal or diet, or even knowing what people eat is challenging. So what kind of studies did you do initially that showed, uh, I guess, fairly clearly that sugar was an issue?
1: Yeah, that's that's a great question. So you know, these are very difficult studies to do. You can't just take a group of kids and feed them a lot of sugar and wait 10 years, 20 years to see what happens. There's a lot of other things going on. And so we do, uh, I mean, some people have done those studies in adults, so I can talk about those. But in the kids, norm typically the types of the better studies are called cohort studies where you uh, follow a cohort of children over time. We've done cohort studies over in kids over 15, 20 years, wow. and it becomes difficult because kids move and they become not so interested in participating in the research. Uh, but what we've done is recruit cohorts of, say, several hundred, maybe even other studies up to 1,000, and you collect a lot of data. You want to measure everything in their environment, their exercise, their sleep, their parents' uh, lifestyle and parents' medical history. Because you want to look at how their health changes over time. And again, there's not a lot of kids who are getting diabetes or heart disease, but we look at their what we call subclinical risk, like their lipid level or their blood glucose level, things that predict future disease.
0: So lipid, let's, let's, for the audience, cholesterol and blood sugar. We'll use regular words, not doctor words, uh, just to make sure that people understand. So
1: yeah, enough. By the way, that was the biggest thing that was the hardest thing for me to do in the book cuz I'm used to like writing in technical language and my my editor was like everyday news that you can use, news <laughs> that you can use. So we do translate it in the book. But yeah, so we're looking at your blood cholesterol of kids, the blood sugar levels of kids, their fat level over time to see how their health profiles are changing and then Look at the data, all the variables that we've measured, and say, okay, what predicted kids' blood sugars to get worse over time? Or what predicted their blood lipid levels to get worse over time? And of all the things we measured, not just diet, all the things, it was sugar kept recurring as a factor that was predictive of those long-term health disease factors.
0: And when you're talking about sugar, I'm going to assume, and correct me if I'm wrong, that a lot of that was probably in sugar-sweetened beverages.
1: Yeah, the ma- so the majority. Uh, and some of the studies just found that it was sugar-sweetened beverages or even juices that, that was predictive. Uh, so th- and and that, that is the, the major contributor uh, in children and adults to, to added sugars.
0: Right. So if people, if, if people who are listening could do one thing, start with one thing cutting back on liquid sugar would be it but you bring up a really interesting point and this is something that i think a lot of parents don't realize and it's a big source of confusion with parents and adults somehow this message has gotten it's amazing the messages that do stick with the public because they're half truths or or not even half in many senses so for example many people think Apple juice is a better choice than orange juice because it's lower in glucose and has fructose which has less of an impact on your blood sugar. So let's 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 talk about that because I think that's a very practical thing that parents deal with almost every single day.
1: Yeah. Yeah, so li- liquid sugar and again the research on this has changed quite a lot in the last 5 to 10 years. And what we found is that uh, liquid sugar is the most harmful, and the most n- non-natural. We weren't, you know, we were t- kids are typically raised on water and milk as sources of hydration, and now we have liquid sugar, and the problem is it's highly concentrated, uh, and in some cases, as you mentioned, like an apple juice is higher in fructose, so. A glass of apple juice, for example, takes the juice out of three or four apples and puts it in a, in a glass that kids can consume in five minutes. So it's not only concentrated, but it's acting like a bolus. It's like a, a huge influx of sugars into the body all at once. And that becomes very problematic for, for, for different reasons.
0: And it doesn't... I mean, the other thing is that it doesn't have the fiber component of eating four apples so that the impact on you know it it it, it doesn't the digestion isn't slowed at all the liquid yes. form i mean in some cases it's good like having a protein shake post-workout in a liquid form makes it more bioavailable to your muscles but when it comes to a, a meal, and and particularly starting the morning. So let's let's talk about it again. We'll try. I'll I'll just keep pushing you to simplify it as we go. If there's words that I know that people aren't going to understand, yeah, but so so, tell us what happens because I think this is really interesting, and it, it is the science has changed. I mean, I think we always inherently new sodas weren't that good, even though our sound producer is drinking a a huge soda with sugar. But anyways, whatever, I'm not going to say anything else about that. But (laughs) so tell us what happens this bolus. So a bolus is like a massive dose, you know, Mm -hmm. like, if you give an IV bolus of something, you're really trying to get an effect. So what is the effect that we're getting with this bolus of apple juice that parents think oh i'm giving my kids fruit in the morning i'm doing or with dinner instead of cola i'm doing a really good thing mm.
1: yeah so like you said it's it first of all not only is it concentrated sugars but you've thrown away all the good stuff you've thrown away all the fiber down the sink or in the trash uh so you're not getting the fiber and that fiber it does slow down the absorption and so what what's happening is there's a very large intake of, of fructose. And here's another thing. F- apple juice, most of the sugars in apple juice are fructose. Now, probably everybody knows about high fructose corn syrup. Yep. Right? Apple juice has more fructose than high fructose corn syrup. So it's it's, it's like it's high fructose fruit juice. Okay? And, and the fructose is problematic because... Um, first of all, okay, let me back up a minute. Regular sugar is fructose connected to glucose. To, to 50-50, the, <coughs> pretty 50 much. 50, table yeah. sugar, yeah. yeah. <coughs> the glucose is used for energy in the body. All your cells of your body use the glucose for energy. Fructose is not used for directly for energy. The body can convert a small amount of it into glucose, But most of the fructose is cleared by the liver. The job of the liver is to take things out of the blood that it doesn't want, drugs, toxins, alcohol, fructose. It handles fructose just like those other things. So it takes that fructose out of the blood, and it converts it into fat and that metabolic pathway that process is produces inflammatory molecules
0: like like what Uri- it,
1: uric acid for example
0: so uric acid is considered an inflammatory molecule yes hmm. Okay, that's new to me. Wow! <clears throat> See, when you have actual experts on, even doctors can learn something. So this is this is a, I didn't realize. I mean, I knew it was linked to metabolic syndrome, which is you know excess, but <clears throat> very closely linked probably to fructose consumption and liver fat. But I didn't realize it was considered yeah, but, uh, an inflammatory molecule.
1: Also, the source of gout.
0: Yeah, right. That I that so, I knew. That so, I learned in med school. I remember that. So but many so, people would
1: associate gout with like meat and
0: right. Alcohol,
1: alcohol, right. Also fructose, same reason as alcohol. So alcohol damages the liver. Fructose also damages the liver. So now non-alcoholic fatty liver disease is the main dominant form of liver disease. No, nothing to do with alcohol, right? And I actually see that a
0: lot in my practice. It's mm-hmm. linked to excess belly fat. So anybody who has a waist circumference more than thirty-five inches for women, more than forty inches p- for men, probably has some component of liver fat. So when when your child let's let's break it down, your child drinks that. And the other thing that is, I don't, I should have some serving sizes, but the other thing is that the size of our juice glass. Do you remember the old juice glasses mm-hmm. that were like, what, four ounces? Yeah. And now it's eight Twelve. bottles of 12. Yeah. So, so what is happening? Our kids are drinking this in the morning or for dinner. The fructose is going straight to the liver. Mm-hmm. It, and especially in the context of, I would say, excess caloric consumption, it's going to be stored as fat all in the liver, or does it distribute through the body?
1: So a small amount of it is retained in the liver, um, and that can build up over time, and some people are more uh, at mm-hmm. risk for retaining it in the liver, and that's what will cause non-alcoholic fatty liver disease and eventually destruction of the liver, which is a rapidly increasing disease. It is. It's, it's <coughs>
0: becoming, it's surpassing alcoholism. Not, and I see this in my weight ab- uh, adult obesity practice. I see non-alcoholic fatty liver disease all the time. And, and it's, you know, it is the leading cause of cirrhosis now. It's overcome, although maybe with the pandemic, it's, they've caught up because of the excess drinking. But, um,
1: but, but the, the rest of the lipids, so that, that's only some cholesterol. of Cholesterol. The rest is released as cholesterol or, 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 or other um, lipid-like molecules that uh, basically is a hallmark of risk for heart disease, So this is where we discovered the link between soda intake, juice intake, and heart disease. And and in fact, that link is quite well established now.
0: But when you talk about juice, let's just back up, because, and this is, you know, you're educating me too. What about orange juice? Because I've read some studies that orange juice, maybe because of the flavonoids and all the plant-based nutrients, is actually associated with a decreased risk. Do you think that's more, uh, uh, you know, byproduct of the study design that people who drink a small glass of orange juice a day may be healthier, or what's your thoughts on orange juice? Yeah, I mean,
1: if you were to, if you had to, if you were forcing me to stack them up in a in a hierarchy, I'm you forcing know, you. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Then, mm-hmm. um, yeah, orange juice is probably on the healthier side of apple juice. Especially if it's um, got the pulp in, because there you haven't, you're getting the fiber. Right. Um, Whereas in the apple juice, in almost all cases, it's eliminated or thrown away. Right. Uh, So, yeah, you do have some benefits, and it's lower in fructose. So, apple juice is about 70%, maybe higher fructose. Orange juice is about 50 50, so it's similar to the ratio in regular sugar. So, kids
0: are just drinking. A glass of table sugar when they're drinking orange juice and they're drinking it no so what about i mean fiber yeah, yeah. what a, well of course what kids drink my kids will not touch orange juice with pulp so i um, know no, that's yeah yours my, too
1: yeah if, even if i'm squeezing it they want me to like like put it through a sieve yeah
0: so, so what about like i mean and i'm probably gonna get uh, you know what about pomegranate juice what do you think about that because They've done a really aggressive job of marketing it as something that reduces your risk of heart disease. Do you have any thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know the specific uh, sugar composition offhand on pomegranate juice, but, I mean, it does have... Well, all fruit ju- juices will, will have phytonutrients, and in pomegranate juice, there's one particular nutrient that's supposed to be of benefit. Yeah. Uh, and there are some studies on it that right. I think are quite good, but that doesn't mean to say you can out and drink you know glasses of pomegranate juice every
0: day right so so we know that liquid sugar is is bad talk to me because you have an entire section about not all sugars are created the many disguises of sugar and you say i mean how many different what 81 there's 81 different ways of Sneaking sugar into.
1: <laughs> well, we could only fit eighty-one on the page. Oh, there's okay. A, <laughs> it continues.
0: There, the page continues. No, we didn't. Oh, okay. We, okay. Uh,
1: <laughs> there's over
0: two hundred and fifty.
1: Wow. T- different um, names for sugar currently, and which is growing every day. Yeah. So, <clears throat> the food industry is making up healthy-sounding names. Like, pick one of those, and we can talk about it. Like, my, one of one I like to talk about is organic. Brown rice syrup.
0: Yes. So, for example, that sounds healthy because brown rice is a whole grain. So, let yeah, what?
1: But, you know, it's organic, it's brown rice, but it's really at the end of the day, that's the same as corn syrup because you could say corn syrup is organic, yellow corn syrup, right?
0: Golden. That sounds healthier. (laughs) Organic, golden.
1: Corn syrup.
0: Is that on the list? No. No, we, okay. we just you
1: just made a new one. <laughs> oh up. oh wait, I made yes. it.
0: oh great. I added so. another now the food industry is gonna start putting organic golden yeah. corn syrup and everything to make it sound healthier. That's so perfect.
1: At the end of the day, it doesn't matter how you know, how the rice was grown or what color it was. Right. You're just extracting the starches out of it and and boiling it down till it turns into sugar.
0: But that, so that brings up something that I was thinking of as I was browsing this is, I mean, you know, I, I think in many cases, refined grains have the same impact, but I mean, the difference maybe is that because they're highly refined, carb, simple carbohydrates, and I know like white rice is as high glycemic, is there between, because of the liquid, does that, that slows the digestion or, or what what's the difference between... Drinking your sugar or because I think of white rice as basically just Little sugar pellets because it turns into sugar so quickly in the body But what's what's the difference between eating sugar and drinking sugar?
1: Yeah, you're exactly right. So white rice any white simple starches those are rapidly broken down into into uh, sugar in the same way they're uh, They're all sh- uh, glucose based starches and um, Typically, we don't consume them by themselves, though. So, um, you, you know, typically you'll be having rice with veggies or with with, with, with a protein source. So, and there's a lot. This, the science is evolving rapidly on glycemic index and how we, you know, food combinations right can can make an impact. So you you can you can reduce the, the glycemic impact of rice by uh, having it with protein or fiber. Right or, having or fat. It with fiber. But juices or sodas, on the other hand, are pretty much just all sugar.
0: Yeah. No, it's funny. It's rapidly evolving. I've been talking about that for 15 years, food combining with my patients. That is not, you can't look at nutrients in isolation at all, except for liquid sugar. I really do think that that one has a class of its own. There was a really cool graph that you did. It's funny because I've been kind of doing this journey of biohacking to see if there's any utility to am wearing an aura ring to see if there's any utility to any of this and i wore a continuous glucose monitor only for a day because then i swam in it and ruined it but nope. there was a chart in here that you did your mm-hmm. some self-exploration yes. with, a, with a continuous glucose monitor and actually showed that i mean even oats which you slow cooked oats caused a pretty aggressive glycemic response. So let's talk, I'm, I'm getting too deep in the science because this is too interesting, but let's talk about breakfast and then let's talk about the practical strategies. And I'm going to push you a little bit on the eating out menu because, uh, but let's talk about breakfast okay. first because that really is, even for adults, and this is an important conversation yes, your book is focused on children, but it's that, you know, children become adults and then I have to deal with the same problems that you do. And, and it's starting earlier and earlier, by the way. I mean, I think I'm seeing more pre-diabetes in like children as young as six years old. And clearly there's a Mm -hmm. genetic component, but there's also a very strong diet component. So let's, let's talk about breakfast and, and kind of how we may be setting up. Our, I was. I was actually looking at all the sugar accumulating in my children's breakfast this morning and feeling a little guilty. But let's talk about that. What are we. What are we doing? What can we do? What's the really negative effect in terms of children, their performance, their yeah. mood? What. What. Give us some insight. Yeah. On yeah. That. And and
1: we don't want parents to feel guilty either. but we want parents to feel empowered to make little changes. You know, this this could be feeling overwhelming to a lot of people, but. Actually, you can make small adjustments to whatever it was you felt guilty about when your breakfast. I bet you we can probably come up with a little tweak that will uh, improve that. But after liquid sugar, breakfast for kids uh, is an important issue because most kids, especially young kids, uh, are are consuming breakfast. I I think for young kids, it is an important meal of the day, um, but it also can be... Very problematic if it's too high in sugar because the, you can set your kids off into a, what we call a sugar roller coaster day where they end up having rapid highs and lows in blood sugar. And those highs and lows can really affect uh, how they're be able to concentrate in school and stay focused and stay energized. And typically, we want to get our kids out the door. Uh, feeling energized, and that, that's kind of, you know, a little bit of a of a, a false start because yes, they're energized going out the door, but if they could like have a crash an hour or two later, uh, if 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 their blood glucose spiked too high, and we see that a lot in the kids that we've worked with, uh, if we can try to regulate that at breakfast, uh, they can stay much more focused and much more energy stable. During the day when they're at school.
0: So give us some idea. Yeah, no, I saw, and your graph in the book was interesting because you had a, um, a second spike effect when you had what was the breakfast that you had that was the bad one? The uh, uh, c- cereal?
1: To- to- toast with marmalade.
0: Toast with marmalade. It, yeah, one of my He's Scottish, yes, so yes. marmalade. We you, For those of you yes. who don't know what marmalade is, otherwise right? known as
1: marmalade.
0: Uh, marmalade, well, yeah, yes. that's what the. Um, or jam. Jam, yeah. Yes. So toast with but, jam, but what? Yeah, talk about. The, I thought that was interesting. You had a second spike effect. So, the the white bread, I assume, white toast with marmalade, which is pure sugar. So that's all carbs. And then, so you had a spike, and then a drop in your blood sugar, which for a child would cause could cause grumpiness or a lack of concentration. If that happens in the middle of a math test, they may not be performing as well. But then you had a, a second spike after that. Explain that a little bit just so we, well, because it's interesting and I want you to explain it. <laughs>
1: yeah, and that, that typically happens. Uh, so I didn't have anything else to eat in those cases. But what's happening is, um, and, and kids are probably more susceptible, that's the roller coaster, the ups and the downs which happens naturally by itself because uh, blood sugar rises if, if you have something that causes a big um, increase in your blood sugar levels and the body doesn't want your blood sugar to be high it and it wants to use that for fuel. So it says, okay, let's take that sugar out of the blood and use it in our brains, in our hearts, in our muscles. It takes it out, but oftentimes if it's Spikes high, it takes it out too efficiently, and, and kids are very efficient. You can imagine kids being very efficient at extracting energy from the blood because their bodies are growing and they need it. And so then it goes down low. That's called hypoglycemia, low blood glucose. You get cranky and moody, like you said. And so the, at that point, the body can, uh, even if you don't eat anything else, the, the body will make more sugar and it will come up because it's making it right um but the typical response is you if if you have a kid and you see them crashing and they're
0: rolling around the floor you'll feed them something else and then
1: they'll go back up
0: right you'll feed them a glass of orange juice yeah
1: (laughs) so you rescue that with with the orange juice but then you've just kind of perpetuated the cycle right ups and downs
0: yeah that um it's that's a very important point I think I I say it with adults too I think like if if you have a lunch for me if I have a lunch that's very high in carbohydrates I crash a couple hours afterwards and then you're I, I explain this to I feel like you're chasing your blood sugar all day that's what's happening and that's a really and and unfortunately as you get older that ability that kind of Metabolic flexibility, where your body does respond well to insulin, that diminishes over time, and the more time that happens, the more stressful it mm. is, and the more likely it is to lead to pre-diabetes and diabetes. So, Absolutely. so let's talk about so what what's some breakfast breakfast tips, and then strategies in general for for busy moms that are running out the and dads that oh, are busy running dads, out, yeah, busy so, I mean, busy people. Yeah. Yeah,
1: so, you know, for for breakfast, we have a lot of different. Thoughts on that. And so an an example we just talked about, we can talk about your kids too. But for me on that day, it was uh, toast, um, which was a sourdough toast. So I was starting off with a decent base. Watch out for breads because breads do have sugar in them. But sourdough is pretty good. Um, What you put on it, because I do like toast in the morning. I had some this morning before I came here, actually. Um, But it depends what you put on it. Right. So you don't have... There's no rule that says you have to put jam on toast. Uh, You can just put butter or nut butter for a kid or ricotta cheese or cheese itself. Or eggs. That's what you did in your research. Yeah, scrambled eggs, which I love. Or My my daughter likes an egg white in the morning. She, for some reason, doesn't like the egg yolk. So I just fry an egg white and put it on toast for her. Uh, so what you combine this is what we were talking about earlier. That combination, not only is it protein which is good and healthy, but it helps uh, flatten the curve. Right. You don't get as big of a glucose spike in blood, and the more you can stabilize that blood glucose, the more focused, stable, concentrated energy your kids will have in the
0: morning. Yeah, so my kids this morning, I, th- I think I did okay, although my husband made the breakfast. But whole grain waffles, not not ideal, but um, but yeah, I, I'm okay with that, with peanut butter. And, and they actually don't really like syrup, which is great. And then yeah. a glass of milk. Let's talk about – this is an interesting topic too before we get – we're going to run out of time because I talked too much, but that's okay. Um, let's talk about milk a little bit because a lot of parents – are now concerned about milk, and they think, especially in Los Angeles, some of these fresh squeezed green juices, that's a whole nother podcast. But what about milk, fat free, low fat, because there may be some association, right with fat free milk, which doesn't have the fat to lower the when we talk about glycemic index, it's the ability of a food to increase your blood sugar. So what what are your thoughts? Do you address milk in the book?
1: Not too much, actually. We we didn't talk too much about milk because I I, th- I don't think there's great research on it in terms of looking at those different um, granular details of different types of milks. Um, we I think somewhere in the book we talk about uh, low fat milk, but I, I, I understand you know many 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 families prefer the whole fat milk or the semi fat milk, and that's that's also fine. I, I think I'm not so sure those. Details are that important. I think the bigger thing to look out for is flavored milks, yeah, which are you know have a lot of sugar added to them because milk has the natural sugar from the lactose, which is fine. And by the way, nothing that we're talking about—we're all just talking about added sugar. We're not talking concerned about the natural sugars in dairy or the natural sugars in whole fruit, but we've got to look out for those added
0: sugars and right.
1: flavored milk. Uh, We saw an example of that this morning when we went little, We took a little field trip uh, before
0: uh, to Rite Aid to get some stuff. Those
1: could could be extraordinarily high in
0: attitudes. I mean, that is one good thing that the government has done, is changes in labeling requirements require added sugar so you can really and and this was interesting because when we were at Rite Aid we were you know raisin bran is a great example because the raisins have naturally occurring sugar so I remember you know it was 18 grams of sugar but actually only nine grams of added sugar so I think one of the things I I know it may be overwhelming to parents to try to do this but let's talk about because you have some some uh simple to I think you know the liquid sugar is kind of a no brainer. And and at the very least, if your kids are used to drinking a lot of juice, I think your tip to dilute it down and slowly kind of wean them off, because the truth is, I'm oh, sorry, I'm all over the place. But this is the truth is we're born with a uh, desire for sweet it right. And and there is that is is that that's true, right? So kids, Inher- and adults um, inherently um, are driven towards sweet. So yeah, the, and
1: that's that's really an important point, and one of the one of the reasons why that led me to be motivated to write the book was that realization, uh, because kids are born with this preference for sweetness. is supposed to be protective, supposed to favor them to like breast milk to avoid food that had spoiled for example, but now that's the evolutionary reason. Now, you know, kids aren't surviving in the forest. They're 80% 80 (laughs) 80 of foods in the supermarket that are marketed towards children, 80% have some form of added sugar in them. Wow. So food companies know that kids have this preference for sweetness, and that's one reason why they make them so sweet, because they're trying to hook kids onto liking them more and 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 then they'll crave more of them so that that built-in preference for sweetness can be heightened with more exposure and that's what's happening today
0: so lessening the exposure so what are some other tips let's as we as we wrap up we don't have too much time left but um you know i some of this like I, I, I agree with some of it. Um, so let's talk about, let's talk about some of your strategies and then I'm going to challenge you a little bit on the eating out thing, because I think it's definitely correct. I'm just not sure how realistic and practical it is as a course, mom. So course, yeah. what are, give us some of the top strategies for um, sugar proofing, as you call it, uh, your, you know, lifestyle and diet.
1: Yeah. So we came up with the name sugar-proof because it's a bit like baby-proofing. Like if you bring your baby home from the hospital, you're going to baby-proof your house, right? So you want to cover up the sockets and put up gates and all that. And now with the way the food world is working and kids are just bombarded with stuff all day long, we have to sugar-proof. We have to make them protect. We have to protect our house. So like all begins in the house. You know, don't... So the best, the best way to reduce soda consumption is not bring it into the house. It doesn't mean to say we can prevent kids from eating, drinking soda. They're going to have it, and, and my kids do every once in a while, and that's that's fine, but don't bring it into the house. Same with juice. Um, that's, so
0: not even orange juice in the morning?
1: I'm, I'm a little on the fence on that. I think that's probably okay. I mean, I'm not going, you know, we we don't take... We don't take a very strict line on this. We don't want to be over-authoritative on it. I think a lot of this stuff is very personal, Yeah. and a lot of it is very um, contextually driven. Right. Families are different. They have different values and different needs, and that's that's fine. So we want to try and just work with that and help moms and dads and kids make healthier choices for whatever works i'll tell you what i do
0: in in my house um is i still serve my kids juice out of my son's toddler glasses so for me that built and i only give them orange juice if they're having a protein based breakfast and fat i don't do it so if they're having cereal they're not having a glass of orange juice on the side which is kind of a historically Mm -hmm. you know the corn flakes and the orange juice, yeah. and you go to school, and then you crash, and I don't even know how that works, but um, so that's personally what I do. So, is so some of
1: those food rules work well, so, yeah. so if you have some, you know, and again, it can be very contextual and very personal, but that that's a good food rule, right? You can yeah. have juice, but not if you're having the carbohydrate or the, the dessert. That's what we do in our house, because I love dessert, just like everybody else. Um, we have what we call mini-D, mini-dessert night, so a small piece of something served with a cup of tea or herbal tea or whatever, and it's kind of a, a family gathering, a ritual thing. So it's not just, you know, grabbing a big slice of cake or a big slice of pie, which I love, <laughs> but I think, you know, serve it on a, on a small plate. Those studies show that you'll uh, if you serve it on a smaller plate, it'll feel more appropriate, it'll feel adequate and perfectly um, reasonable.
0: Yeah, so what are some other ways we can sugar proof our houses for, yeah, another for thing we didn't, our lives. Yeah, another <laughs> thing we didn't
1: talk about are these all these hidden sugars. Yeah. And So you know, go to the pantry and look check out, you know, your staples like nut butter, tomato sauce, ketchup, crackers, bread, yogurts. These types of foods can have what we call hidden sh- sugars. Sugar right. lurking in places that it doesn't need to be. There's plenty of nut butters and pasta sauces and ketchups and yogurts that taste great but don't have the hidden sugar. The, um, if, you, if, if you make those substitutions, you're doing yourself a couple of favors. One, you're eliminating the sugar. Two, the reason the sugar is there, it's a little bit for taste, but it's a little bit to mask the taste of all the other um, additives that are probably in there. So typically then. The brands with no added sugars are typically healthier with less less additives.
0: I know, but all natural peanut butter that has nothing added to it, can't spread on bread. That's my big thing. It's like we we talk about some of these things. So, that's, but I did that's, notice that's the
1: oil that the the palm oil that they add to make it a bit more spreadable.
0: Yeah, but um, but you know, no, I think that's a good point. I mean, I for me personally, and again, I'm not perfect. I'm practically healthy, not perfectly. Um, but I like salad dressings. I make I make my own salad. Dr- that's one. I mean, you know, make I put throw a few things together. But that's a big one for me. With the peanut butter, I'm, I'm willing to live with that one just because it's, it's, it's four grams, it's a teaspoon, yeah. But when you do, and I think that's one of the points, is when you do a lot of other things right, you don't have to be so perfect on Absolutely. every single thing. Absolutely, so and
1: that's why I like your message too. I'm very pragmatic as well. And um, you have, you know, moms are busy, dads are busy, house you know. Not it doesn't all have to be perfect. Right. But small tweaks here and there can make a difference. Doesn't mean to say you have to hit all the tweaks. Right. You have to find out what works good for you.
0: Well, one thing just in the eating out as we finish up, I first of all, I was super sad to see mole sauce on the red light for Mexican because oh, I yeah, love me mole too. sauce. But too. Yeah. but I but again, here so here's how I would do mole. It's it's on chicken. So that's protein, right? And I don't have I, I'm not a big rice person. So I'm not and then I'm gonna have vegetables on the side. So that's my so so as you're going through this book or your life in general, I mean, it's if a sugar is something something that's sugary is something that you value, then make it better. I mean, with yogurt, I do I do think it's important for people, parents and kids to compare sugar. So I'm always comparing Greek yogurt, if one has 17 grams, and one has 11, I'm going to go for the 11. And then I'll doctor it up, put slivered almonds on it. One more thing I want to touch on before we let you go. um, Because this is something I think sugar being villainized is becoming more mainstream now, so that companies are switching to artificial sweeteners. So Talk a little yes, bit about just, that as I'm we uh, as we finish
1: up. Uh, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because I was, um, was going to bring it up if you didn't. So, okay, good. Uh, well, because I'm just, you know, that, that good. <laughs> pro- if I ever write another book, that could be a whole book on, on that topic, which we did have a whole chapter in here, but it's kind of spread around a little bit. And it's, it's they're they're problematic because the food industry's natural response to cutting sugar is not just to cut sugar, it's to replace sugar with these artificial sweeteners, stavia, sucralose, monk fruit, very popular now.
0: Those are those are not artificial. Those are non-nutritive natural sweeteners. The yeah. artificial well, well, are a different category, but yes, we can talk about no them. sugar mm-hmm. added. We can talk
1: about them in two, at least two categories, the, the, the synthetic artificial yes, sweeteners, synthetic. which sucralose, aspartame, ASK, uh, those are all man-made yes. chemicals, hundreds, thousands, in fact, some are now tens of thousands of times sweeter than uh, sugar, and then there's the natural ones: stevia and monk fruit, being the most popular. Uh, I, I love th- those. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I usually watch what I say. But, <laughs> no, i <I'm just> <laughs> um, Yeah, I mean, I th- I think there's a couple of issues. So one is, especially for the for the uh, artificial ones. Yeah. Um, they can, the reason they're non caloric is because they're not absorbed. And if they're not absorbed, they can reside in the gut and ultra gut health. Sugar alcohols would be in the same category. Sugar alcohols um, cause a lot of GI problems. Uh, many, they have very different taste profiles. Some are rapidly onset, some are long lasting, and they're used in different combinations. The natural ones, they are natural, but you know, so is tobacco, so is sugar, so are a lot of things. It doesn't give them a free pass, right? Um, <laughs> these, they're, they're also we don't know enough about them, uh, especially their longer term effects. They've passed, they've they've, I mean, they've passed toxicity testing. They're grass approved, generally recognized as safe. We don't really know the long term effects, but. Again, but then for me it's very practical. Uh, here's an example: My wife just came home the other day with. My, actually, she took my daughter to the grocery store, came home with a granola. Looked good, apple cinnamon crunch. I look. It said no I added sugar in the front, so I said, I, I, "I'm pretty sure this has something in it, it. Had stevia in it." My daughter opened it, and it didn't taste good. It was very expensive as well. It's like. You know, not a not a cheap product. I was like, "Don't open it! I'm taking that back." <laughs> but she she opened it, tasted it. So it was a good learning experience. It tasted often tastes good. So, and this is again, it's individual. Some people uh, it sounds like you you kind of don't mind the taste
0: of stevia. Of stevia, yeah. No, I I do. I enjoy it. <laughs>
1: okay, so uh, I just don't like the taste. Many people it's taste very, it as bitter. Yeah, right. And it has a, it's long lasting as well. Mm. Monk fruit has more of a kind of a bitter metallic aftertaste, so I just uh, I just don't like the taste of it. So I, I would rather just, for example, if I'm making cookies, am I going to use devi or monk fruit in there, or shall I just make the recipe and use half the sugar?
0: That's what I do. I do do that. I use I don't use it in so, baking. I just use it in my coffee. Yeah.
1: So. Yeah, so I mean, again, again, that's contextual. So if you're right. just putting a little bit. It's probably better than putting a few teaspoons of sugar in your in, in your coffee every day. So. But
0: artificial sugar, I uh, artificial sweeteners, I, I do have concerns about, especially for kids. Like you know, and and you're right. And this is where people need to understand how complex nutrition research is, because just because you show an association doesn't mean it's the cause. So these kids that are being given diet cola instead of regular cola tend to be more obese. But, you know, is it that they were obese first, and then their kids or what's the cause and effect. But I do think the research is emerging on the gut microbiome and artificial sweeteners. and, And so Right now, at least, my efforts are more, you know, directed when I'm talking to parents about their kids having diet cola in the place of regular cola is probably not the answer. Plus,
1: not the answer.
0: These these, what you said was a really good point. These artificial sweeteners, which can be 600 times or more sweeter, um, the idea is to, you know. Normalize our desire for sweets. and if you're having something right. that's six hundred times sweeter when you have a beautiful juicy sweet strawberry, it's not going to taste as sweet. it it's it's so I think it's it's priming our children for yep. craving more sugar, for needing exactly. more sugar throughout the day.
1: It, it doesn't, yeah, and it certainly doesn't resolve that craving. And in fact, the studies show that adults and children who, are habitually consuming. I'm not talking about a little bit in your tea or coffee. I'm talking about, you know, multiple uh, diet beverages per day. Right. Um, those individuals actually consume more calories throughout the day and more sugar throughout the day. So yes, you've you've actually consumed less sugar for the soda. Right. But you make it up and more throughout the day because of that craving. Right. And you've habituated a sense of craving of sweetness, so you end up like seeking it out elsewhere.
0: Yeah, no, it's it's interesting the the sugar science. So I think we could go on a lot. Um but so your new book, no, your old book, this is same the book. new version. New, same, same book.
1: Same content. You can
0: read this. So this is the old cover showing the bowl of sugar, which is no I, I love the new cover. So the paperback came out uh recently. We're not sure when this podcast is gonna air. I love the cover, and there's recipes in here. You were supposed to make me some recipes, but that's okay. I'll forgive you, Um, but maybe you can make it up to me and make them some other time, but we're going to have to... uh, I'm going
1: to personal delivery. Personal delivery, overnight
0: steel-cut oats. I love that. No, that's a great thing, overnight chia. This is, there's like... Yeah,
1: we made that last week. You made sugar-proof
0: granola and granola thins. That sounds kind of yummy, so um, anyways... The paperback version of his book is Sugarproof. It's available now. Where else can people find more about your research? Is there any place where you uh, do you have a website for this where they, if they want more recipes or more, maybe talking about it?
1: Yeah, uh, the website is sugarproofkids.com. And you can follow us on Instagram or Facebook at, at Sugarproof Kids.
0: Sugarproof Kids, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, Thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure talking to you today. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Practically Healthy. This is really the epitome of what I want to do with this podcast is to take people who really understand the science and translate it into practical tips. So I hope that you've enjoyed this episode. Subscribe, like us, comment. If there's other topics that you'd like to discuss, especially more scientific ones, you can tell that's what I'm most passionate about. So please reach out to me, Instagram, Dr. Molina, Facebook, Dr. Molina, I'm trying to do TikTok, but I'm not very good at it. Or just email me directly, drmelina at hotmail.com. I really want to hear from you because I want to make this practical, healthy, and doable for you. So I hope you have a safe and healthy day and join us next week for another fabulous episode.